0: It is truly a privilege to be able to bring God's word, but it's also a kind of a daunting task. A lot of it's so much in the front end of it where you're prepping and writing and trying to go, okay, Lord, what am I to say? But most of the time, really what it ends up saying is, Lord, what are you telling me that I need to figure out before I can even say anything to you? But really the question that we have is this. Who are we relying on or what are we relying on for eternal life? That's really the question. Well, maybe some of you have seen over the years or come across it on social media or maybe a comedian makes a joke of it or even a politician that's trying to change a law. These obscure laws, they're on the books. The question is, why are they still on the books? Well, let me share just a few of them that I believe I've actually verified that are still in the books. And if if they're not, they were just recently rescinded. I'm going to pick on a few of our neighbor states. But North Dakota, they forbid serving beer and pretzels at the same time. Wink, wink. Illinois forbids you from giving your dog a lighted cigar no matter how much he wants one. And I'm thinking... Was that becoming a problem? Michigan, ladies, okay, if you plan on chopping off your hair for the summertime, Michigan says no, unless you first get your husband's permission. I'm not even making no comment. Okay. Grand Forks, North Dakota, appropriate for today, forbids the throwing of a snowball on public or private property. And if that wasn't enough, you cannot throw candy from a float during a parade. See city code section 9-2011. I hope they don't have 210 before that. Mill Creek Canyon, Utah has made it unlawful to possess an unleashed dog on even number days. Mm-hmm. I guess dogs are better behaved on odd number days. Little Rock, Arkansas, Municipal Code, has made it illegal to honk your horn after 9 p.m. at any place where sandwiches or cold drinks are served. I guess too many were dropping or spilling them when they got startled by a horn. And Missouri, you cannot, under any circumstance, drive with an uncaged bear in your car. The crazy part is, that must have happened more than once. For it to be a law right well why do i share these stories well of course some of it's for humor and to get your attention but more importantly to bring your attention to our passage this morning as pastor matt has been leading and teaching us through galatians we have been trying to answer that one profound question is jesus enough this week we continue to answer that question through paul's writing But for some reason, someone thought it was important for these laws to be on the books for people to obey. Well, the Mosaic law, in the Old Testament as we can read it, were laws given to the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, to to live according to. And the result was to bring blessing, well, at times. But more times than not, it brought God's discipline for not following as they should. See, God chose to take the old law and replace it with something that was superior and final. Something that would last forever. And it was faith in Jesus Christ. So as we continue this study in Galatians, we're going to see Paul. He's, he's trying to help this young Galatian church understand the true power of Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation that is by God's grace Through faith alone. As Pastor Matt had preached, he says, no fuzzy math. We don't need it. We don't need any additions. We don't need any subtractions. It's faith alone. So if you want to turn with me to Galatians 3, just in a quick review, there were some questions that Paul asked in the first nine verses of Galatians 3. In verse 2, he says this, "...by which gospel did you receive the Holy Spirit?" In verse 4, he asks the question, for which gospel did you suffer persecution? In verse 5, which gospel did God confirm through miracles? And then verses 6 through 9, says, by which gospel was Abraham justified? The answer Paul gives is, Jesus is enough. And that salvation's not earned because of good works or being a good person, living a clean life and so on. Those are all good things. But our salvation comes through God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ only. Some of you may be thinking, and I know I have, why is Paul spending so much time on this topic of the law and faith? Well, I want to say I think it's pretty simple because it's hard for us to change, right? Something that you've known and that they've known and lived for so many years To change to something that is so simple and profound. I always kind of thought of myself as someone that likes change. You know, not major change, but incremental change. Slow and over time. If someone is, you know, if something's the same for too long, I'll be honest, I get bored. And I figure there probably must be a more, a, a better way or a more effective way but having routines and traditions are not bad things. You know. If we, but, but they can be if we lose sight that it's God that's in control of our lives. I often find myself wanting others to change, and it's good for them until I have to change, right? So for the better part of a week... I was trying to think of an example, and I walked into Matt's office, and I go, I think I found it. How, how, do I, how can I help kind of give an example of a, a long tradition or illustration? And so, maybe some of you have heard the story. So don't give it away. Don't give the answer if you have. But it seemed you know, appropriate since we were appro- uh, approaching the holidays. He says, Mom, why do you cut off the ends of the ham? Later the wife called her mom to find out why she cut off the ends of the ham. And her mom said, "Well, because that was the way my mom prepared ham." The wife's grandma had passed away though, so several years earlier, but her grandpa was still living. So she called her grandpa and asked, "Grandpa, why did grandma cut off the ends of the ham?" He was silent, thought about it for a moment, and then he replied, Honey, I believe it was so it would fit in the baking pan. So if you're cutting off the ends of the ham, now you know why. Oftentimes, we've we've passed down these traditions, right? And and knowledge by way of our family, our friends, uh, leaders, etc. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. But how often do we ask the question, why? If we're to answer honestly, we would say, well, because I was taught that way. Uh, I saw a great video on YouTube. Uh, I was told by someone, since it has been done that way for so long as you know, we we continue doing it that way even though a better way or solution may really be available. It seemed to work and why am I going to want to rock the boat? It takes time for us to change, right? And I believe this is what was happening in this early church. The Gentiles, these non-Jews, had learned about faith In Christ alone but we're getting pulled really in two directions many of the legalistic Jews the Judaizers which we've talked in previous messages were reminding them that the law of Moses was still something that was critical to be followed to be close to God then there was the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter and he's continuing to teach that it's only in faith in Jesus that makes it enough Well, I have to imagine as Paul continues his teaching, he was thinking about his former life as a devout religious teacher and persecutor of Christians and what it took for God to get his attention and change his ways. But I appreciate Paul's willingness to address this issue head on. See, was Paul saying that there was something wrong with the old law? No, however, I think he knew that the Mosaic Law found in our Old Testament had been replaced by something superior. That it is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There was nothing wrong with the Old Law itself. Yes, it had been manipulated, used improperly, but it was temporary. It was a temporary covenant with God's people until Messiah would return. However, Many wanted to hold on to the old and not properly embrace the new. For all of our lives, they were taught by priests, rabbis, religious teachers, parents, and friends that living by the law would justify them before God and their salvation would come through God's people, the Jews. But Paul makes it real clear that salvation is for everyone for all. And even at the end of this chapter 3, in verse 28 and 29, he says this There is neither Jew, nor Greek, or Gentile, neither slave, nor free, nor is there male and female. For all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to. To the promise and that's the promise in the mosaic law jews and gentiles must move from this old to this new which is replacing all that they know with jesus christ himself jesus was the perfect sacrifice this isn't new for many of us but he was to atone for our sins he took our place for our sins the sins of all people Jesus' action provided the way of salvation, right? To all mankind, once and for all. See, many believe that the law actually would justify them, make them right. It would help them attain right standing before God. However, what they failed to understand is the law would actually condemn them. James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps... The whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. So they would sacrifice their animals. They would pray. They would work as hard as possible to honor God and really hope it was enough. Many believe that the law is what would justify them. Um, and and they, they couldn't get by that. And Paul brings this new thing saying, no, this is superior. This is better. This is profound truth. And they had a hard time moving to it. Well, let's read Galatians 3, 10 through 14 and walk through it a bit together. In some of your Bibles, the heading, I think, is appropriately titled, The Righteous Shall Live By Faith. Verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, there it comes up again, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. And the last two words, through faith. Did you notice three words that that came up frequently in this? There's three of them, cursed or cursed. Law and faith. Paul's now using, I think, a little bit more extreme language when he uses the word curse. Because Galatians they understand the Old Testament as as he wants them to understand you're under a curse. One author put it this way: a curse is a divine judgment that brings the sentence of condemnation. A simple way to put it would be that we're doomed if we continue down this path to try to justify ourselves through the obedience to the law. It's a 100% failure rate. There's no glimmer of hope. There's no chance of sneaking through. So in verse 10, for all who rely on, or another way you can put it, is put their trust in, works of the law are under a curse. Doomed, essentially. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And again, this is Paul quoting back to the book of the law, Deuteronomy 27, 26. It's interesting to note that if you are to look at the context of this passage in Deuteronomy, or that chapter, you see a short list of blessings from following the law, and you see a very, very long list of curses for when you, diso- you disobey it. So if we're cursed, <laughs> we're certainly not blessed. And I think that is why in, Paul, or why in Romans 10, and we see parallel things in Galatians and Romans on these topics. In verse 4 he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, he wants us to understand that all our good works and our, our acts of righteousness will not amount to anything except our condemnation. The only way to not be condemned by the law is to not have ever sinned. Which, as Scripture says again in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All doesn't mean most, all means everyone. And the wages of our law breaking is death. Not just a physical death, but an eternal separation from God. Paul's point is rather simple. People who fail to keep the entirety of the law live under a curse. They live under a curse of God's judgment that will come to everyone one day. That means us. So in verse 11, he continues to build on his point that the old law is condemning you. We can't be justified before God by way of the law. That's what he wants us to remember. So in verse 11, it says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Pretty easy to understand. Then he says, The righteous shall live by faith. So we see again those two things. The law... And faith, But I appreciate, again, what Paul is doing for the readers, especially the Judaizers that would have known the Old Testament law well. He is bringing them now back again to Habakkuk 2. That's five books kind of in from the end of the Old Testament. But for some context, Habakkuk was a prophet at the time that the southern kingdom of Judah, was, they weren't following God. And they had been warned, and they were doing their own thing and not following the commands of God. So the prophet speaks out about their sin, but no one appears to be listening. And then it's revealed to him that enemies more wicked than the Israelites will bring great suffering their way, and it will be by the way of the Babylonians. And as he struggles with this. God reveals to him that the Babylonians will not go unpunished, but God will triumph over them. But he will use them, the Babylonians, to bring his people back to himself. So in Habakkuk 2.4, the Lord says, and I love this translation of it, it says, the righteous person shall live by his steadfast faith in him there's something you can take home with you this morning, just that. The righteous person shall live by his steadfast faith in him. You may not see, you know, I think God in a sense is saying, you you may not see all that I am doing, but I'm at work in the midst of the chaos, the persecution, the troubles that surround you, and I'm going to finish my work. But now we see Paul contrasting the following. He's, he's going to now introduce a new term. He uses this word justified and he says, I know that many times in my past, I've tried to justify my actions for doing something. Many of them were for the right reasons, but I, to be honest, many of them were just because of my poor choices or bad behavior. However, what Paul wants, I think, again, for us to understand is this idea that we're declared, or in word, pronounced righteous before God because we live in faith. It appears also that Paul kind of wants to show this connection between being justified and being righteous. I read this quote this week. It says, To live by the law is... To live by self-effort and leads inevitably to failure, condemnation, and death. To live in faith is to respond to God's grace and leads to justification and eternal life. We're responding to God's grace which leads us to justification and eternal life. Well, just kind of a side note, you know, the Judaizers, these legalistic Jews that were teaching and leading many believers really astray about the importance of following the law and Jesus, they had many, many examples before them to kind of go, no, it is about faith, not works. I mean, think of it, more than 500 years prior to the law even being revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai, our forefathers, our patriarchs of the faith and their faith, the likes of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and other Hebrews, had lived and died prior to God giving it to Moses. So, how do they reconcile that truth without any proof or examples? Well, they figured somehow, Our patriarchs, our forefathers of our faith, knew in some way how to live out the law without it being revealed to them. I mean, that's essentially what they're believing. It was a flimsy argument. Even so, they couldn't see another way. You know, they couldn't see the depth That the law condemned them at. They they could not see or understand that they were being that these laws placed them under God's wrath rather than His blessing through faith in Jesus. Well, just in three verses, Paul has or two verses. He's going to do it again. He's going to bring them back again. If it wasn't enough in the first two verses, he's bringing them back. And so, in this next verse, in verse twelve, he does it. He says, "Verse twelve, but the law is not of faith; rather, the one who does them shall live by them." You may see in your footnotes or cross references um, in your Bible or your uh, device that Paul is now quoting from Leviticus eighteen five. Paul again uses another uh, way to try to help them understand their errors in thinking. He tells them that God's law is perfect and to live up to it is impossible. He's trying to get them to understand that they have no hope in living up to God's standard. And since God is perfect and holy, no one is righteous because of their actions, their own actions. I found a nice contrasting... um, Passage in Romans 3 that I think again, as Paul wrote this to the Galatians before he wrote Romans, but he is paralleling these with some of the same thoughts. In Romans 3, starting in verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. And listen to this, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So God reveals our sin to us. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there's no difference, and here he goes again. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, between Jew and Greek, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a substitute, through the shedding of, Of his blood. And then it says, to be received by faith. Yes, to be received by faith. It was not our work or our obedience. It was his work on our behalf through his sacrifice. But now we're going to kind of see Paul shift a little bit in these next two verses. He has basically laid out how the law condemns and perfect obedience is required by each person to be declared righteous. He knows all along that there is something far better for those that want to be faithful followers of Christ. He now offers them the solution again, as he has already many times. Paul's going to remind them that Jesus is a what? enough verse 13 christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree see paul now uses this word redeemed which is a powerful word which was really a reference to uh, the purchasing of a slave with the intent to set them free Or even the ransoming of a prisoner of war. This word is used by Paul many times in places. And it's securing basically this price. He's talking about this price it took to make this redemption possible. You can see some other passages that have that in 1 Corinthians 6.20 is one. Another one in 1 Corinthians 7.23. But when he says Christ redeemed, why is Jesus the only one in a position to purchase us or to redeem us? And some of you are going, I know why. Well, that's good. We need to remember that. Because he is the only one that was able to fulfill the law perfectly. He would submit himself, and he would become the curse. He was our substitute. He freed us from this enslavement, from the curse of the law, the separation from God. He freed us from this enslavement from the curse of the law. And we'll see this in Deuteronomy 21 23. Again, as Paul has done in these verses, always bringing them back when he quotes at the last part of this, he says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I'm sure like you, your mind goes right to Jesus Christ's crucifixion. But I want to make sure we're clear on this because this isn't really that. It's connected and I'm sure Paul was thinking about it and when people read it, we think about it. But it's, it's the tree, the tree isn't cursed, okay? That's not what's cursed, and that curses everyone was hanged on the tree. It's not making the tree cursed. What it's doing is it's saying the person, the reference is the, you know, is this person that was cursed and rejected by God, he was already dead, and then he was hung on a tree. He wasn't hung on the tree while he was alive to die. He was already dead. And he was placed there as a representation to people to say this person was rejected by God. And at, in the evening, the body was removed so it would not defile the ground on which it sat. The same ground, they believed, that was given to them by God. Paul spent a considerable amount of time referring back to the old Mosaic Law. And just for good measure, he's going to conclude his thoughts with another one in verse 14, which says, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham, which he references in the previous chapter as well as the end of this chapter, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So why would Christ and his Father God pay such a high price to redeem us? Well, Paul shares at least two reasons, and there's more. Number one, God did this in order to fulfill his promise to Abraham to bless all the nations, not just the nation of Israel, all people. Genesis 12, 3. And then also, he did it in order to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to give us the power to live for Him and through Him. I think Paul has made his case. He's made it clear that the Gentiles, you have full access to the promise given to Abraham. That's exciting. The Jews believe, though, that that was only reserved for them and no one else. It also seems to show the extent of God's redemptive work that faith in Jesus will justify us through faith. And we will receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit living within us. I love how Chuck Swindoll summarizes this passage. He says, In his plan of salvation, God did not need to relax the letter of his perfect law to accommodate us wretched sinners who couldn't get through a day without breaking it. Instead, he sent his son to fulfill every detail of the law for us and to suffer the law's sentence of death for us. So the concluding question is what I started with. What or who are you relying on are you trying to earn your right standing before God or have you chosen the superior gift of believing that it's your faith and in the grace and love of Jesus Christ that saves? Those of you that keep working and hoping you need to do more with your faith and you've got to do all these other things or those of you that are going, I have no faith at all, but I hope I can do enough good works to get on the good side of God, And you're trying, and you're tired of trying to measure up, trying to get to where you think, I might have a shot. But Jesus is offering this as a free gift. But you know what? Like any gift, we have a choice to accept that gift or not. Are we going to open it and use it or not? So the curse, the good news, the curse has been lifted by the work of Christ on the cross. We just need to turn to him in faith. Jesus said in John 14, these familiar verses, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has made it simple. We just need to trust in him through faith. We can't add anything. We can't subtract anything. We just need to remember that Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words that are a reminder that our works are rubbish without faith in you. But Lord, I know for me, I can feel like my faith is not enough. That I need to do more. And this has been, a, this has been difficult for generations to generations. But Lord, through my faith, I do believe we do good works. Because you are the, you overflow with your spirit into our lives. You give us an opportunity to see your work through us. And I just pray that you would use us, mold us, make us who you want us to be through the faith we have in you. Because you truly are enough. Amen.